you have your Bibles, uh, let's open them up. Galatians chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, we'd love to gift one to you. Daddy! Um, all right. Oh, I want to go to Bubba's class too. Um, oh man, it's tough finding finding out bad news as a kid, right? Uh, so we are we are week six into uh, this series, and uh, hopefully we are still going strong. Uh, I think some of us may have some limps right now, uh, maybe have some some hurt feelings. Uh, we we started this year off uh, focusing on the role of forgiveness as it pertains to our lives, and, and really how we receive forgiveness from God, and then how we are to give it as a reflection of our understanding and how God has treated us uh, in Jesus. And, and we find this all throughout the Bible, but there have been two verses each week we've kind of drawn focus towards, and it's uh, simply this in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Alan, in Ephesians chapter 3, there we go, my friend. Uh, uh, chapter 4, I apologize. Uh, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, that we would forgive one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. And then Colossians chapter 3, bearing with one another. And, if, and we're going to talk about bearing with in just a little bit. Uh, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you uh, so also, I'm sorry, so you also must uh, forgive. And so, so what we're doing in these weeks is we're coming in and we're asking, how do we do this? How do we forgive others? And at times, how do we forgive ourselves in the way that God has forgiven us in Jesus? And we start by uh, looking at the grace and the mercy and the love that, that God has for us as He forgives us our sins that, that first dishonor Him, second damage us, and then thirdly separate us from an, interest, uh, an intimate relationship with Him. And, and so what we're trying to do is we keep in mind uh, simply this, that, that when you give your life to Jesus, He changes everything. He does. He changes how we relate to God, and then He most definitely should change how we relate uh, to, to one another. And so forgiveness in our relationships is a reflection that we better understand uh, in part or in full the forgiveness we've received uh, by God. And, and where we were last week uh, was that we talked about how to address someone who sins against you, right? In fact, uh, if you remember, we went through Matthew 18 and we saw really two powerful things. We saw a practice that we put, things we put into practice, that number one, uh, Matthew 18 tells us that, that when someone sins against you, that you would deal with it a, first, personally, right? And if you win over your brother, then you win over your brother. If not, then the second step is that you would take two or three others with you. Uh, and then if you can't reconcile through there, that you would uh, take, take the matter before the church. Uh, and then finally, Jesus says, if you can't win them over it by that stage, you, you release them. Okay? Now, one thing I wanted to make sure that I was very clear on uh, is, that, is that when you release them, you still forgive them. Uh, because as we continue on in Matthew 18, we saw uh, Peter bring up that question, how many times do you uh, forgive somebody? And Jesus tells us this parable of the unmerciful servant, the person who is released, who has been canceled a debt that he could not owe no matter how many lifetimes he lived. 
Uh, and so, so the important part, I didn't want you to walk away this last week thinking that if you release them, then you don't have to forgive them because we would very quickly move through the line uh, and boot them and say, well, they deserved it. Uh, but, but all along what Jesus is saying is, no, no, you forgive them not based on what they've done to you or what they can do for you. You forgive them because you've been forgiven by God through Jesus. Okay? Now, walking in reconciliation is a, a separate matter. And, and so uh, today what I want to do is I want to spend some time talking about how we restore a brother or a sister after they have stumbled. Because restoration is part of the forgiveness process. And even if, it, if we aren't directly speaking into the specific role of forgiveness, this is very much a role that we get to play as we seek to walk in unity, especially after those moments uh, where, uh, as we talk about believers walking with believers, um, that we would understand uh, the role that we get to play in helping restore one another. And so uh, that's, that's going to be our, our goal today. I don't know how many more weeks we're going to go with this series. Um, maybe next week, maybe three weeks. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, but today will be good, hopefully. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care intimately about us. We praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made And I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak into some pretty difficult parts in our lives, Father, as we've been uh, hopefully doing some heavy lifting, uh, that we would not be doing it by ourselves, but doing it with you, that your Holy Spirit today would empower, uh, that he would enlighten us, and that we would just simply try to respond with your love today. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Have, let's, let's start this way. Have you ever watched a person from a distance only because you were kind of hoping they would fail? Yeah? Yeah. And it's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not like I hope they come make a decision that ruins their life, but maybe, maybe they drop the ball. You know, you're like, ah, they could use a little bit of humility there. Maybe, maybe they fall and... And so you watch them from a distance. I was thinking about it uh, this week, uh, and for some reason, uh, what came to mind was, was a swimming pool high dive. Uh, when we were growing up, there's really two places you could go. You could go to Twin Points, uh, and then you, or you could go to uh, the LMRA. I don't even know if it's still LMRA today. Uh, it's not. Okay, well, forget it. We're not going there today. Um, but, but I remember that one because they had the double high dive. Remember? Uh, which, which the top high dive was always shut down because someone jumped off and hit the bottom one and exploded. You know, that, at least that's what we told our fifth grade selves, that, oh, somebody exploded uh, from that. But, but I, I, it, here, here's what I know about the high dive, is that no one, when you get a watch from the outside, you are never really hoping for a good jump, right? Right? Am I being honest? Is, this, is it too soon to be this honest this morning? Like, you don't sit by the pool laying out watching people jump from the high dive saying, oh, I hope they do the front tuck and land perfectly dive, right? We don't celebrate that. In fact, the only time 
we ever celebrate that is through the Olympics. And it's not really that we're pulling for the person who's jumping. We're just so gung-ho that we love USA that we want them to win. Okay? But by and large, when you are at LMRA watching people jump off, you don't want them to land correctly. What you're secretly hoping for is an over-rotation. Right? And what you want are parts of their bodies like their face or their belly or their back to hit that flat like concrete. Right? And then we all collectively celebrate that moment with, ooh, you know? And it's like we've done something together. Like, I was there. I was there when the ambulance took that kid away because he face-planted into that wall. And then if somebody, you know, land, here's what you need to know, by the way. If you're jumping out of a high dive, this is what we're all thinking, right? Nobody's impressed with your cannonball, so don't do it. All right? Nobody's like, oh, cannonball, Nothing. They want you to fall on your face. Um, and they're secretly hoping something goes wrong. And, and for some reason, that came to mind when I think about how we, at times, look at each other's lives. That, that even in our, our Christian relationships, there are times we can sit on the sidelines of other believers' lives just waiting and watching, um, hoping at times that they would fail because in some way if they do or when they do we can either feel more spiritual or we can justify our own behaviors compared to their choices right and this is the easiest thing to do in life is to find somebody you're better than Um, because even if you just think it in your own mind you'll find someone you'll find you can turn on the news and find someone did you well at least i'm not as bad as that guy um and, and what you forget in these moments is that we are all prone to sin. And I think it's, it's an outlandish expectation to think that a believer will never sin, and even thinking that their sin will not have an effect on your life in, in some way. And so, so though we are all growing in Christ, we still feel the draw of sin at times to choose sin over holiness, or, or we choose idolatry uh, over pure worship and and here's what we need to know. It's not, this isn't a matter of if, but rather it's a matter of, of when we stumble, uh, when we choose those things. And, and, and I think when a fellow believer stumbles, our reaction at that point is pivotal. It's pivotal. I mean, do we, uh, will we digen- degenerate into useless gossip of, hey, you see how red his chest is? He was painted. Do, do we stand pridefully in the face of their sin? That, well, if I was on that high dive, I, I wouldn't have done that. I'll, I'd have landed a perfect 10 because, as you know, I'm that much better. Will we stand silently by and see if they can somehow pick themselves up from a damaging fall? I mean, I know, I know he keeps belly flopping, but I'm, I'm sure he's going to figure it out sometimes. What did they say? The tenth time is the charm. Right? Or, or do we play a role extending a rescuing hand? Like you stand at the bottom of the ladder and you say, hey, I've watched from a distance and you and I both know you have no business going back up there. You need to stay off of it because this next time might kill you. It might. So what is, what is our role in that? And so since we're talking about Relation, the relationship that forgiveness has in restoration, 
let's, let's create just a hypothetical conversation or situation in your head. Let's say uh, that you've been wounded by a fellow believer. Somebody, let's just say in this church, someone has wounded you uh, and then you uh, thought and you prayed and you looked at Matthew 18 and you went and just for the sake of time, you went to that person and you said, hey, you've, for, you've offended me. I forgive you. And let's say, just for the sake of time, that in that moment, as you went privately, that person repents, they confess, and you begin this process of of restoration. Jesus says you've won your brother. Now, how do you walk with them to help them not fall into the same sinful action? How do you do that? And, And I think before we get there, I think it's worth exploring why we are prone to fall back into sin. Okay, uh, both other people and ourselves, and and then we can talk about the role, our role in helping people, even those who have wounded us, to get back up off the mat and get back in to action. Uh, the Bible gives us uh, really gives us a lot of reasons, but there's three distinct reasons why we are prone to sin. And now, when I give you these reasons, I'm not trying to give you an excuse to continue on in sin. Okay, uh, Paul brings up this beautiful argument in Romans where people are like, well, sounds like you're telling us to sin, right? Uh, and he's like, no, idiots, that's not the way it works. You don't sin so that grace can abound. But nonetheless, I don't, I don't give you these three points to say, oh, well, okay, yeah, I guess I can give you know, God an excuse for why I'm still doing this. Um, rather, what, what I intend to do is, is I want us to understand an explanation for the feeling that we of the pull that we feel at times towards the things of God and then the pull that we feel at times towards the things of this world. Okay? And so so why do we sin as believers? Alan Wingo, uh, number one, uh, Paul will tell us this, that sin dwells within us. Sin dwelling within us. Scripture tells us that there is still a propensity to sin within us even after we've asked Jesus into our hearts, even after we are walking with the Holy Spirit, that no matter how committed we are to Christ or how well we understand the dynamics of the Holy Spirit, sin still crouches in our hearts. Okay? Paul, Paul brings us one of my favorite places um, because I'm really intimidated by the Apostle Paul. Like I feel like if I ran into him on the street, wouldn't, I, I'm like, I don't think we could be friends, bro. Um, but, but Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 7. And I'm like, oh, here I am. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody? Anybody? No, nobody wants to, nobody wants to cop to that one. I will. I'm, it's, that's right there. That's this guy. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So this is it. Paul's not implying that sin is stronger than the power of the Holy Spirit. He's just making the point that it still exists and it still exerts this downward pull that, that, that believers can resist and overcome the power of sin through, over, through the overcoming life of Christ, but there's this ferocious battle that's being waged constantly. 
constantly, and for various reasons, we don't always share in the triumph that is ours through the cross. Because sin still dwells within us. Number two, we have a real enemy. We have a, a, a real enemy. We stumble because we have an enemy who seeks to devour and deter and to detour us from walking in the light of the gospel. Yeah, he's called by many names in the Bible. You got the prince of this age, you got the prince of the power of the air, you got your mother in law, you got the adversary, the accuser, uh, namely uh, Satan. First uh, Peter chapter three says it this way: he says, "Be sober minded, right? That we would be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around uh, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." Seeking someone to devour. Or what John says, what Jesus says in John 10.10. He's talking to us about how He is better than uh, the world. And He comes in and He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's, that's Satan's determination. He wants to seek, He wants to steal, kill and destroy. And then Jesus says, I have come that they may, that you may, that we may have life and have it abundantly. And so, so you have a very real enemy. Satan and his agents, they're, they're always there to harass, to tempt, to put pressure, to steer us toward failure. That he is the accuser of the believers, not the unbelievers. He doesn't have to spend time getting them. That, that since he has failed in blinding our eyes to the truth of salvation, what he tries to do is the next best thing in his mind which is to render us ineffective and frustrated and discouraged and defeated by enticing us to disqualify ourselves from adventuring with God. That's what your enemy does. And then thirdly, we, we live in a fallen world system. We do. Uh, we live in a broken and fallen world. It is soaked with the gasp of the vile spirit of the evil one. We can go to books, arts, governments, education, business, entertainments. They're all part of what Paul refers to as this present uh, and evil age. Uh, and, and our issue that we face today as, as believers is, it's the words of C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. And this is one of my, my favorite paragraphs in, in anything that I've ever read. And I've read like more than five books, so uh, I'm, I'm an expert. All right. So he says this. He says we are half-hearted creatures. That we are we fool fool about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of the holiday at the sea. And then he nails us. He says we are far too easily pleased. And the world is it's broken. And that's, that's evident, right? I mean, that's, that's nothing that we haven't experienced or seen. I mean, we, we see this, the evidence of it plainly put out uh, in the choices that we make as a society, uh, as the things that we celebrate, as we legalize, as we normalize sins that, that, that break the Father's heart. And there are times when I see that and I watch the church's reaction to that and I'm like, you missed it. You missed it. You, you want to make a yelling argument against a yelling argument and that hardly ever does anything but just make people yell louder. 
But we as a society have legalized and we've normalized sin that should break our hearts and most definitely has broken the heart of the Father and most definitely on top of that dishonored Him. And though we are not of the world as gospel believers, we certainly are in it. And we certainly have a role to play in it. And it's not, by the way, circle the wagons. It's not. Every time the church wants to withdraw from society, God is saying, you've completely missed the mark on why I've given you purpose for living. That you are a light that invades darkness. Not a light that circles up so you can see the darkness. And so this, there's this triad of opposition that is imposing enough to deal us these toppling blows. And anyone who says, well, I would never do this or I would never do that. I would never jump off the high dive and land on my belly. I would always do a perfect 10. And people would applaud and they would help me out of the pool and they would carry me gently to the next jump. That any person that is that is just setting themselves for a very painful season of life. And so with that in mind, let's, let's talk about how we restore one another. In and, and Galatians chapter 6, Paul's going to give us some guidelines for how we are to walk together in seasons of, of restoration. And he says it this way, uh, Galatians chapter 6, he says, Brothers, so he's writing to the church, uh, not just to the guys, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, what's the word? gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse number 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for uh, for each will have to bear his own load. And so, so the hypothetical we're working with here is that we've been offended, we've chosen to forgive regardless of the offender's confession or their repentance. Um, but that they have confessed, they are walking in repentance, and now begins the work of, of restoration. How do we restore the relationship at least to a previous level so that it can move even deeper? And understand, all of your life... All of your lasting relationships have come through this threshold, right? There's typically always, I can't think of one lasting relationship that I have, that there hasn't been a moment where you said, eh, this could go one way or the other. Um, we can either work through this conflict or we can allow this conflict to separate us uh, forever. And, and so here in Galatians 6, what we find are, are four different things. Uh, we're going to find a process we're going to find a warning, we're going to find a command, and we're going to find a reminder. Okay? Uh, all in these four verses. And so, so let's talk about thoughts on restoring one another. That the process is simply this, uh, that we would restore, but we would do it gently. We would restore gently. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so, so when we walk in community, there will be moments when we play a role in restoring. And the goal should be restoration so that the body can be healthier, so it can be stronger. When we are in conflict, we are weaker. That's, that's the way that it works. Um, 
And I find it interesting that Paul tells us, uh, tells us the process to use here. He says to restore gently. And I don't know if you read the Bible like this, but I do all the time. I'm like, why does he say that? And I think those are great questions to ask. Like Paul says to restore them, and we're like, oh, I get that. But then he says gently, and you say, well, why would he choose that word? He can use any other word, and he can use any other emotion, right? He can even say, restore them begrudgingly. <laughs> You're like, oh, that I can get on board with. But he uses this word gently, and so we ask, why? Why does he say that? Why is gentleness the process we use in restoration? And I think firmly it's because restoration is about growth and not punishment. We're restored gently because restoration is about growth, not punishment. And what we tend to lean towards is punishment as a way of altering behavior when Paul encourages us to treat one another in gentleness. And when you think through that, you say, okay, if I, if I introduce gentleness into this conflict, what follows it? And I think things like mercy and compassion, and grace, and love. They, they follow gentleness into the conversation, into the conflict, which, by the way, are all things you hope someone would offer you when you mess it up, right? right? Have you ever been in that moment? You're like, well, I wanted you to be nicer to me. We want all those things. And Paul says we restore gently and I think if that wasn't good enough, I think treating each other in gentleness is a reflection of our understanding of the ways God treats us. I didn't put this in on the screens, but in your talk notes, you can write out uh, Psalm 103, verses 10 through 14, where it says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him or those who honor him as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us as a father shows compassion to his children so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame check this out he knows our frame and he remembers we are dust and i think some of our conflicts that's something we can remember that it is dust. That some of the things that we're locked up about right now, now, not all the things, but some of the things that you're locked up so much about right now, in ten days won't be a big deal. But today, let the dogs loose. And so he says that we restore, but when we do it, we restore gently. And then number two, he tells us, he gives us a warning, and he says, be aware of temptation. Be aware of temptation. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And this is a timely warning in that in our efforts to restore, we would not be drawn into temptation. Either uh, the temptation of the sin that our brother is, a, is engaged in, but I think more specifically what he's talking about, uh, because he's talking about uh, gentleness, uh, is that, that we would more specifically, the sin of pride that can well up anytime we believe we are better than or more mature than our fallen brother. 
that, that there's a danger in restoration. And this is why Paul tells us that the process should involve those who are spiritual, those who are mature, that, that we don't use the sins and the transgressions of others as a means to compete with, or, or, most, or even more importantly, to dominate the one who's fallen. We don't. We, we aren't trying to keep tabs as a way of making our reflection better. We, we stay on guard as we both seek to pursue holiness, as we both pursue walking in the gospel so that we can make much of Christ and we can walk in deeper community with one another. So we stay on guard because our hearts very easily can grow prideful. So he says, don't be drawn into that. Then thirdly, we get a command, and he says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One of my study Bibles put it this way, to bear one another's burdens is the supreme imitation of Jesus, who is our ultimate burden bearer. That he's even gone to the length of taking mankind's sins and the curse of the law upon himself and so fulfills the law of Christ. And so, so the question is, is how do we do that? Right? Because we can talk and we say, boy, that sounds super spiritual. That sounds good to do as, as a body of believers. But how do we bear with one another's burdens? And, and the first step of that is that you... This only happens as you are living in community with one another. And I'm not talking about um, showing up here most Sundays, and I'm not talking about dropping in uh, to a merge group or, or going to a men's breakfast or a ladies' coffee. I'm not, I'm not talking about an event. I'm talking about a life being shared, that it takes determination to walk in community and even more to bear one another's burdens. And, and now again, I'm not, I'm not talking about you needing friends that you can go hang out with on Friday night or, or people you can play cards with or people you can go on vacation with, which, which you all need that, right? And if you need someone to go on vacation with you and you'd like to pay for me, I'll go. I'll take that hit, okay? Nobody wants to go with you, but I will if you pay for it. Um, but I'm talking about being a people who lift the heavy weights of life together. That we will be side by side with this desire that we would not let one another fall. Uh, one, of, one of the chapters that just pinned me to a wall in 2018 was 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's a famous one uh, because Paul has given us instructions for how we operate as a church, how we walk in unity. And he gives us this word picture and he says, he says you are a body. Uh, and he talks about how we are um, many members but one body, that we each have a role. Some of us are hands and feet and eyes and ears. And he gives us these very specific rules about, hey, don't, don't get upset with the ear for doing its job. You just stay in your lane and you do your job. And as we walk together, something beautiful happens. But then he gets to the end of this chapter and there's a line in there that, uh, that again, it just... It, it, it haunts me. And he says that, that when we are healthy, we are all playing a part in the whole, but relationally, we, we get to this point that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And that's a sign of health. Okay? When you look at the body and you say, are we suffering with them? That's an indication of health. 
Then he says that when one is honored, we all, we all rejoice. We all celebrate. And that, that's a sign of a life being shared. And here's what I know about Paul, because he doesn't, he doesn't mince words with us. He never does. In fact, that's why he's so intimidating to me. He's not giving us a lofty goal. He's not saying, hey guys, try this out. No, he's given us a blueprint for what it looks like for health in this place. That when one suffers, we all suffer. And when one rejoices, we all rejoice. And that kind of community isn't formed in passing on a Sunday morning. It's the result of a life being shared. That you have, you have people, right? You have your tribe. We all do. Some tribes might be larger or smaller, you know, depending on uh, how much they like you or your spouse, right? But the question that should always be resting on us when it comes to your tribe is are we growing together for a purpose? Or are we just walking somewhere? Are the people that are in your tribe, are they helping you grow closer to Jesus? Are they spurring you on, as Hebrews would say, in love and good works? Are they challenging you not to be a better version of yourself, but to make it a point when people see you that they say that person spent time with Jesus. And so Paul says you can restore gently, you can be aware, but he says there's an intention. When we're talking about restoration especially, is that we bear with one another's burdens. So this guy offends me. Mark offends me. I take that to him. He confesses. He repents. Now we're walking in restoration. And this is, this is a sign of maturity, I'm telling you. If I can walk with him and I can help him carry his burden, I can help him carry his burden, all of a sudden the thing that offended me is what I'm helping him try to overcome. What a beautiful picture of what Christ does for us. That He carries our burdens. So it's not a lofty goal, it's a blueprint for community. And, and again, gosh, we, we have light years to improve on when it comes to that. When it comes to that. And then, fourthly, I guess, fourth, we get a reminder. And it's simply that we boast in Christ, not over one another. For if anyone thinks he is something uh, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for, for we each will have to bear his own load. And the gospel-centered believer approaches this matter in a, a spirit of meekness and love, while the record keeper, right? There's that inside of us. We want to keep records. We want to keep a balance sheet. The record keeper has an attitude of pride and condemnation. They don't, they don't need to consider themselves because they pretend they would never commit such a sin. But the believer who lives by grace realizes that no man is immune to falling. Like I, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. He has an attitude of humility because he realizes his own weaknesses, but, but secondly, there's another contrast in that, that he knows that the love of Christ in his own heart, that the law of Christ is that we would love one another. We would love one another in the face of conflict. 
that that we would, Paul, Paul talks about the law of love in, in Galatians chapter 5, and now he's applying it, that tender, loving care isn't this modern invention, isn't just a, a shirt that you saw, and you're like, oh, that's a good idea, we should love one another. That, that how much we appreciate it, okay, let's, let's, think, let's think of it this way, okay, let's say you, you break your arm, and you go to the doctor, how do you want them to treat you when they're examining your arm? Rough? Yeah, you're an idiot. Uh, you're not an idiot. You're just, that's dumb. Um, you want them to treat you tenderly, right? You want them, as they're setting your bone, they want, you want them to do it as gently as possible. Because to be treated harshly creates what? More pain. And so... Let's let's wrap this up. Let's come back to our hypothetical. And let's ask what forgiveness has to do with restoring someone who's fallen. And I think forgiveness, it puts the great love of God on display and walking with an offender towards restoration models the continuing work of Christ to transform us into His image. It, it serves as this incredible testimony of what Jesus has done. In these, these past two weeks, we've been leaning heavily into a hard place. I get that. I do. We, we're leaning into a spot we'd rather not spend uh, not, not just much time, but really any time in because there are some very real scars and some very real pains and even some wounds that are out in the open. And to say that, that we should forgive and then that we should try to walk in restoration sounds like pouring salt onto the wound, right? Okay? Because I, I, I'm not the only one, right? But if that's you, I, I want to ask some questions. And really, it's just an encouragement to explore a few things. Okay? Number one... When that conflict happens, or as it happens, or if it is happening now, are you willing to forgive? And if not, what's at the root of that reluctance? What's at the root of it? Is it, is it the balance sheet? Is it, is it well, is, if they'll meet me halfway on this, then I'll meet them the other halfway? If I say, I, I, I don't want to forgive that, I just ask you to ask yourself and then ask God, what is that about? And secondly, let's say you are willing to forgive, but you say, you know, I, I just don't want to have anything to do with them. Because that's, that's, a, that's a neat trick we like to play, right? Oh yeah, I forgave them, I just never want to see them again. And when I see them again, I just get really mad about it. And I get all locked up inside myself. So let's say, if, if you are willing to forgive, but you say, I just don't want to have anything to do with them, I would encourage you to ask why you have no desire for a restored relationship. And I'm not saying that you would be besties with them, but that you would be able to have a conversation, that you would be able to be in the same room with them and it not be World War II in your heart. And then thirdly, if, if you are willing to forgive and you're even willing 
to restore the relationship. My prayer is that, that you would understand why you're doing such a thing. Because see, this is a trick we like to play too. I'll forgive them, and I'll even spend time with them, and when I can, I'll take a small jab. And I'll say, hey, remember that time? You were a dirtbag, and I wasn't. Yeah. Remember, remember that, that moment when I was the hero of a story? Yeah? Nobody liked that guy, by the way. But why? Why do you forgive? Why do you walk in restoration? And the Word tells us it's simply this reflection of a heart that understands the enormity of God's love that is just poured out on us. Just poured out. One fall after another, just poured out, poured out, poured out. Undeserving as we are, it's poured out. And that we would have the privilege in our broken world, in our broken relationships, that we would have the privilege of putting that on display. That's why. And now the hard part is you've got to get outside of yourself for that. You've got to get outside of your own hurt. You've got to get outside of your own uh, balance sheet, how much they owe you. And you have to step into this incredible reality that God has made possible for you through His love expressed in Jesus. We don't forgive, and this is, I don't know, again, I hate Facebook 90% of the time, but I can't stop reading it. Um, but, I, but I hate, and I said this a couple weeks ago, and I think I was halfway wrong on it. Is people will, will say, hey, you need to forgive, because when you forgive, you, um, you release yourself out of a prison as much as you've released them. And I'm like, well, that's, yeah, that sounds great. But that's not what the Bible tells us why we forgive. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We step outside of our small story and we get the privilege of putting His incredible story on display. And that's a good motivation. Because it's pure. It is. I know. That's an amen from a baby. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, I want to make a couple things available to you. If you are wounded, I, I need you to understand that you will never find peace. You will never find peace apart from Christ. And maybe today is that day that we've talked about this pool of sin. We've talked about our need to walk in restoration and that first comes through Jesus. Or maybe you are struggling. Uh, maybe, maybe you are dealing with something in forgiveness. You just need someone to pray with you. Not that God would release that burden, but that God would give you the strength to walk through it, the boldness to walk in restoration with one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today that You love us. We thank You today that You're not afraid to tell us to do some heavy lifting. 
And I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would be able to walk through conflict in a healthy way, that we would be able to have an active role in restoring people who are trapped in sin. We thank you that you have made us ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. That you are literally making your appeal to the world through us. So help us, Father. Give us boldness to proclaim your gospel and to model the love that you have shown us in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.